Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show all about exploring the mysteries of this ineffable universe we call home. Today on the show, we're going to be covering some of the work of Jacques Bergier, a Frenchman who is a master of everything strange and unexplained. Is it possible that there are secret orders of immortals walking secretly among us in true secret societies? Sounds like Highlander, right? Is it possible that these adepts, as he calls them, have access to secret portals of the world, secret doorways of uh, dimensional rifts, you could say. Jacques suggests the possibility that there are these immortals and secret societies that have walked among us since prehistory, who could be the guardians of these secret doors of the earth and influenced by alien intelligences. And just what are these secret orders all about? So let's get into it, shall we? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. This is, this is the way. This is the way. These, these entities, they would congregate. As Robert Bloch said, a sudden dreadful knowledge is revealed to one person in a million. This is one of the first lines in French scientist Jacques Berger's fantastic book, The Secret Doors of the Earth, The Hidden Influence of Ancient Aliens and Sacred Geography on Human History. He opens with just how many scientific breakthroughs never see the mainstream, because they defy established natural laws. This goes for astronomy and pretty much anything you can think of. These breakthroughs only surface in closed circles, never to be seen by the greater scientific community. The truth is that there are countless mysteries that we can't even imagine. The Earth itself and its history are far more mysterious and incredible than generally is generally agreed upon across the planet. Could it be that our understanding of this reality we live in is such a microscopic piece of a greater whole that even a semblance of the truth would completely annihilate our entire worldview? What if this world is a transit hub between higher and lower dimensions, and there are many secret doors of the earth, phenomenal subterranean passageways, and other anomalies that lead directly to other dimensions? And what if there are a minority of seemingly superhuman people walking among us that safeguard these secrets and form secret societies to safeguard the knowledge only to themselves? These adepts that he talks about. The adepts only initiate people with similar chromosomal makeup, which is transmitted genetically. And these people could be seen as analogous to the immortals from the Highland series. Not really, but that's just a crude example because many of them can only die if they're killed. They don't die of old age. And what if these so-called adepts and their secret societies 
create centers of energy that communicate with extraterrestrial intelligences and have done so for eons. These uh, centers of energy and interdimensional portals giving humans amazing abilities that defy the laws of nature and our primitive science as a whole. Pretty bold, right? But these are the questions and ideas that Jacques Berger asks in his mind-boggling work documenting the ineffable. And he says that in the hierarchy of the universe, the fantastic alone has a chance to be real. The secret doors of the earth is not science fiction, but an interpretation of improbable facts that will stir and challenge the imagination. Sounds fascinating, right? I had a blast researching this one and actually read the book three times, as well as one of his other books. I had no idea this guy existed, but the other book I read of his is called The Eternal Man, which is pretty interesting, especially with what we covered in the last episode. The universe is not only stranger than we imagine it to be, it is also stranger than anything we can ever imagine it to be. And the stuff he says is pretty fantastical, but don't get him wrong. He's not a blind believer that takes ridiculous things at face value. Jacques Bergier admits, You have to be extremely careful when investigating the mysteries, because it is filled with just as much BS as it is legitimate anomalies. These things have to be handled carefully, he says. And the fantastic needs to be tempered with shrewd pragmatic detachment, because once you start to get stuck in the mud, discernment goes out the window. And I think for, for this reason which I totally agree with him. Um, a lot of people interested in fringe lore, the paranormal, or the esoteric get pushed back by him a little bit because they so desperately just want to believe the fantastical things that they've read or heard and teach their own, I guess. I think a lot of true believer types get the wrong idea about me personally and are disappointed sometimes when they delve deeper into Cryptic Chronicles. I even was on a show once of somebody else and they got super disappointed in me. But I also think it's the most efficient way to tackle these topics. When you don't live in a world of absolutes, it leaves a vast terrain in which to speculate and not get trapped in narrow reality tunnels of dogma and fantasy. So I really enjoy this guy's style. And it seems like a lot of people have piggybacked off his work to their own conclusions and books and stuff. I like his idea of Earth having like unknown angles, dimensions of geometry, and weird folds in reality that lead to countless inner pockets of unseen worlds. It reminds me of the Cthulhu mythos and how, I forget the story off the top of my head, but cosmic horrors can reside in impossible angles and geometry in plain sight, but still be invisible to biological eyes. Anyway. Berger says that future scientific progress will go side by side with the fantastic, and science from a hundred years from now will not only be incomprehensible, but seem like magic to us at the present time. The adepts he talks about most likely have hoarded tons of already fantastical inventions that were one-offs, and never duplicated or expanded to the broader human race. Part of their secret society's duties is to guard their existence but echoes of these impossible inventions still manage to reach the public's ears and become fantastic tales or myths and legends. However, sometimes these unknown inventions spill over purposely by the adepts to aid the human race, of which they still consider themselves a part of despite all the massive differences. These adepts 
also walk among us historically as sages to teach certain things at certain times, but only in line with the laws of causality, whatever that means. So there are a lot of different ways to look at these quote-unquote immortals. But there's also no reason to get paranoid. These secret societies, the real ones, FYI, don't interfere with our lives at all. So they are not clandestine, New World Order, uh, skull and bones, or whatever type secret societies. People are really paranoid about that kind of stuff. No, the adepts go basically 100% undetected. And that's their whole goal. If you knew their name or anything about them, then they wouldn't be a real secret society. The whole point that makes them this or the whole point about their whole stuff in general is to just be completely unknown. You could have met a member or even have had a relationship with one and you'd never know it or be able to tell. And they sure as hell would never spill the beans. Those who say don't know and those who know don't say. So this is not like um, 1% power play type of secret society. This is a secret society or secret societies that overall just want to let people live their lives, but still kind of safeguard humanity and a lot of other stuff too. You just wait and see. But this is pretty much in stark contrast with what we're used to hearing about concerning secret societies, right? Most people just hate that stuff. I've read a lot of comments that have made me question the writer's sanity. Go read some comments that I've gotten on the Bilderberg Group episode. But let's, uh... Let's look at a perfect example of what Berger says one of these secret societies would be. Near the dawn of the 20th century, German mathematician George Cantor calculated numbers greater than infinity, which you'd think would be impossible, but no. This discovery or invention, depending on the point of view, basically pissed off everybody in the scientific community, and he was so harassed and discriminated against. It drove him to a mental breakdown, which eventually resulted in the man legitimately going insane. Who knows if anybody else ever would have come up with or discovered how to perceive numbers greater than infinity. Thank God this guy existed, right? But at the same time, if he had any idea of what was going to await him after his discovery, um, do you think that he would have gone public with it? Cantor would most assuredly have kept it all to himself, or, more to our point, within a tight circle, trusted with people as open and knowledgeable as he, and uh, released it to no others. And then, when Cantor dies, he would leave behind a legitimate secret society, privy to his secrets of mathematics. This, Berger says, is a real secret society in the exact way how these adepts would operate. It is not that they want to keep everything hidden, it's that they have no choice. And these societies would survive and thrive even in the most dystopian and authoritarian states. They are not after power or wealth or whatever. So they are not in the government of the world and the like, or if they are, it's a separate ambition from the secret society. Those who truly discover things that change everything about the paradigm of reality are always wise to keep it to themselves, which is a sad truth, I guess, about our world. But 
Look at history, man. I've talked about this stuff many times. It's only after these people are long dead that they get actual credit for their discoveries and are not demonized. And these secret societies that he talks about, their circles are so small and their topics and expertise so alien to the rest of us, the risk of actually being detected is very low. Normal people wouldn't even know what to look for. And you may wonder, well, what, what about someone who, what about someone like that has selfish ambitions or whatever? You know, they would break off and use their secrets to their own advantage. Well, these people, he says, these people are chosen beyond the most obsessive scrutiny. Like, they're not going to go get Johnny who lives down the street. They're going to be watching people probably their whole lives. And then not only that, they also have to have genetic similarities to them. And even if they did break off to try to spill their secrets, who the hell would believe them? It would just be more new age stuff or, you know, like a new golden dawn or whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But one of the most interesting things concerning all of his theories and ideas is that if there were extraterrestrial intelligences that uh, influence humanity and come and go from our world, they would most likely be in constant contact with the secret society of these adepts and no one else. Not governments, not spiritualists, not anyone. They wouldn't have anything to do with our militaries. And the adepts would be used by them in a variety of ways, most notably to protect the secret doors of the earth. I mean, what if beings from other worlds didn't have to travel here through literal space, but just walk through or fly through a portal? Just squeeze through some weird geometry angles. Jacques Berger says that it is likely the earth has many more shapes than just one, which if you find that confusing, don't worry, so do I. He says uh, a two-dimensional flat earth and a three-dimensional round earth exist at the same time, as well as a variety of different forms all existing at the same time in the same place. The answer, he says, is mathematics and geometry. In mathematics, Riemann surfaces are composed of many layers. These layers are neither one on top of the other nor one under the other. They occupy the same space, a space far more complex than we could normally comprehend and um, described only by the workings of complex variables. There is also other insanely boring mathematical complex stuff to explain it, but we don't really want a, a math lesson here, now do we? Mathematicians have another way of expressing the same idea, and this is like the simplified version that is really easy to understand, but it is extremely simplified. Just keep that in mind. On a flat map of the Earth, four colors can be used to separate all the nations of the planet without a single one coming into conflict with the other in defining a nation's borders. This also includes every single region, too. And this is probably the best way that most people can understand it on a basic level that he says. A way that people can understand how something can exist on the same thing at the same time. But the real interesting thing about this idea is it opens up pretty much... Um, the idea of inaccessible areas of our world that can't be found on a map. And oddly, sometimes people have accidentally popped into these areas 
or people from other areas have popped into ours. And this pretty much destroys the idea of how reality and our world are typically looked at. All of a sudden, not only does the universe become insanely more vast, but our own world becomes a sprawling, unexplored frontier. With what we have explored and mapped out, just being a part of one of those colors on the map that I just talked about. And this leads to the fascinating phenomenon that every single civilization the world over has had legends of hidden worlds open to human traffic in certain circumstances. However, these hidden worlds can't be entered by any normal means and are not able to be mapped. Think about fairy folklore and stuff like that. There are even a lot of interesting stories out there concerning people who could have come from quote-unquote out there, if you know what I mean. People who stumbled over into our plane of reality. Such as in April in 1817 in England. I can't remember what the city was called right now, but a lady who spoke no human language was wandering around, knocking on door to door, like uh, just going around a bunch of people's houses. They tried to get her to write down what she wanted to say, but apparently the woman couldn't write in English or French or anything that they could understand. She kept pointing at herself saying, Caribou. When she did write, she wrote a language that doesn't exist and numbers that don't exist in any culture on the planet. She did eventually learn English, settled down, and died at the age of 70. But back to what I was saying earlier, she, um, she basically wised up pretty quick made up a story of a woman that had no existence in English records to get people off of her back. The entire story of her adopted identity was proven to all be BS, and her origin was never given a satisfactory answer. What's more confusing is she could have interacted with one of these hidden adepts I've been talking about. A man came forward to take her into privacy saying that he did understand her and that he was an Indian sailor who actually recognized the woman's language and said that she was a kidnapped princess from Indonesia. She had been kidnapped by pirates and he would take her to safety or whatever. But he did just want to separate her from the English people and the conversation between them most likely imparting her wisdom to not be honest about her origins, hence her adopted identity, because she just came right back to the English right after talking to that guy and the man's story of her being an Indonesian princess revealed to be a lie. What's interesting about this story is that the woman was illiterate. Well, illiterate in English, I mean, both written and spoken. But she had a complex language herself of unknown origin. She also wrote for everyone from the very start. Not only a written language with a working alphabet, but also a system of numbers, Yet at the same time, this whole story is pretty easily debunkable to yourself, I guess. Uh, if you are a skeptic, which was the intention in the first place. The man who took her away for a bit most likely laid it out for her pretty absolutely that she could not be honest about her origins. And I know that may sound convoluted, but uh, I guess I could have explained it better. But um, there are there are many stories like this throughout history, even up to modern times. Most of the time, these characters disappear shortly after their arrival. Not always. Jacques Bergier offers the idea that there is some sort of police force from other places that handle this sort of thing. Maybe even from their own worlds. Or ours, who knows? It's just speculation. 
And interestingly enough, he says that things that happen in one world affects the other. Sometimes even continents, cities, or land masses overlap on one another with uh, stuff from their world coming into our world and stuff from our world going into their world, etc. And in one of these other worlds dwells the king of the world, quote-unquote, who safeguards humanity. His city is of the highest culture, research, knowledge, and technology to the point that their technology is basically magic to us. Avalon, Luce, Shambhala, Agartha, basically insert any other mythical city of legend. And this is that realm, or at least an analogous place to those realms. Secret societies of the adepts safeguard access to places like this and make sure as few people accidentally stumble into it as possible. And they are so serious and devout about their duty, no amount of torture or threats or anything will ever get them to break. They can't be broken, only annihilated. However, stumbling into the realm of the king of the world on purpose or by accident isn't the end because one can come back as well as go there. It's not like uh, an end-all be-all. They are open doorways, though few know where they are. But even though it's so inaccessible, many wisdom traditions and teachings come from this city. And don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. $30 off weed with code podcast? Did someone say $30 off weed with code podcast? Amuse delivers over 500 high-quality cannabis products from the Bay Area brands you love at everyday low prices. You can also rest assured that everything will be up to your high standards. So what are you waiting for? Start shopping now at amuse.com. Use promo code podcast to save 30 bucks off your next order. That's amuse.com. Is your brain always hungry? Do you have a mental appetite that often goes unsated? You may be suffering from hungry brain syndrome, a debilitating and sometimes life-threatening condition experienced by humans who require double, sometimes even quadruple, the amount of mental nutrition needed to sustain the general population. But now there's help. For years, our dedicated team of world-class researchers have been developing a thicker, more nutrient-dense podcast specifically for sufferers of hungry brain syndrome. And now we want to share it with you. All you have to do is search for our podcast, The Whole Rabbit, in your podcast player of choice, and select from one of our delicious flavors, like Slovenian succubi, Gnosticism, or Ancient Egypt. It's no wonder The Whole Rabbit is the most recommended treatment for hungry brain syndrome on the market. So what are you waiting for? Try The Whole Rabbit today. Do not listen while deep sea diving. Side effects may include eating carrots and shooting lasers. 
So the stories of these people who stumble in and out of our world from another world are myriad throughout history. Whether it is the realm of the king of the world or many others, it's a repeating story throughout history. And Jacques gives many examples, like Caspar Hauser, a German youth claimed to have grown up in total isolation of a darkened cell and was later murdered. Lots of controversy surrounds the legitimacy of this story, but it's a... Still one among many concerning people who seemingly are not from our world that pop in. He gives many other examples too. Like a naked man appearing at the marriage feast of King Alexander of Scotland in 1293, speaking an unknown language. 1125 in Germany, another person appears speaking a completely unknown language, and according to the legend, even spits fire, which sounds like, um... He could have brought some technology over with him or something. And tons and tons and tons of people witnessed him burning trees with his fire, being a well-documented occurrence. In America, there are tons of these cases. At times, these uh, alleged others, quote-unquote, have even been caught on camera and appear like out of place to everybody around them. Like they have weird clothes or even stuff like uh that might appear like a cell phone or something they just look out of place compared to everybody else that's surrounding them in the picture i don't really want to get too into these kind of cases because i feel like that's probably a subject all its own that i should do like separate like uh it would be a good topic all its own for the future is what i mean but according to jacques There are more than 30,000 of these cases that have been documented. And um, this is, this book was written a while ago, so I'm sure that's gone up a lot. But with all these people who pop up that shouldn't exist, there are just as many cases of people from our own world that just straight up vanish without a trace, with no explanation or evidence of what happened to them or where they went. However, these vanishings also include ships, planes, submarines, or pretty much anything you can think of concerning travel. The barrier between our Earth and other Earths is open in many places, so much to the point where you won't even realize it if you're going through unless you look for it or know about it, unless you're one of these adepts initiated into the mysteries. But if there are also gates that need to be opened, then I guess these people are pretty much just victims of circumstance. At the wrong place at the wrong time, during a journey like when someone or something is doing a journey through these portals by you know the beings who utilize them beings like the legendary Apollonius of Tiana who was around to see Roman emperors assassinated and worked with Madame Blavatsky in the last three years of her life many philosophers have held the tale of Apollonius of Tiana in high esteem such high esteem they've actually positioned him as one of the most like seminal important people in all of human history jacques says apollonius performed many supernatural feats like refusing to get on a boat saying it was about to sink and guess what happened it sunk apollonius always had what he needed but didn't really have any day job and he always refused like pretty much any gifts that were given to him so however he got by was unknown pretty much all throughout his history when asked about what mysteries he knew about the universe or just in general i guess he was always pretty vague hinting at the understanding of the gods and the power of demonological energy 
And indeed, gods and demons were very real to him, and not human, not dogmatic, more universal. Think of Carl Jung's archetypes. The archetypes are essentially gods, the personifications, but they are not literally Zeus in a cloud throwing lightning and stuff like that. Apollonius says that actually all humans already have the powers of the gods and all the demons as well. It was their birthright. The thing is, is that humans are mostly ignorant of it. They don't even know it's there, much less how to connect to it. Adepts, I assume, are, or at least according to Jock's work, are people who can interface with it in some way or another. In one of Apollonius's letters, he called it the divine faculty. The Persians called people who had the divine faculty magicians, or magi. He said that a magician is someone who represents the gods. Oh, and this is magician like a wizard, not a magician like cards and tricks and pulling a rabbit from a hat. But these magi, they had the divine faculty in them. Apollonius wrote lots of letters that happened to survive. He also wrote a lot of books. However, sadly, these books have not survived history and a lot of them have been destroyed, only existing in fragments now. But what's interesting is one of these fragments, he says not to offer sacrifices to the gods because it's pointless and they don't care. They aren't human and don't exist like us mentally or egoically. They are more like giant eldritch sentient webs, I guess. More of a force of nature and exist in all things and all people. He says that the only thing to offer the gods that like they would actually care about is reason. Which is weird and I don't really get. Apollonius of Tiana is recorded as performing many miracles, and him being a miracle worker surrounded him in all the cultures he visited over the millennia. But he said that none of what he did came from him, saying he will always remember his masters and travel forever teaching what he's learned. In a way, he kind of seems similar to a messiah type figure, and Voltaire even said that Apollonius was more important historically than Jesus, which I'm sure pissed off a lot of people back in the day. One of Apollonius's main teachings was not to fear death, and to be clean of spirits and the health of the body will follow. So a consistent ritualistic cleansing or banishing should be part of one's lifestyle all their days, and everything should be tempered through reason. This includes emotions, thoughts, and actions. And I'm not exactly sure, but does that kind of insinuate that everybody's possessed by spirits? Or like spirits latch on to everyone? And I could, I guess it could be like ancient code for hygiene. I mean, why explain to somebody the importance of washing their hands before eating in the ancient world when they wouldn't even understand it? Better to just say, uh, if you don't wash your hands, you're gonna get a bad case of spirits. Would probably be a lot more effective. But Apollonius of Tiana is the main example of what an adept might be like. He gives a few examples, but Apollonius is the main one. These gates that are traveled through by the adepts may not always be set in stone in their location. They may also be created, or as H.P. Lovecraft called them, the induced gates. Areas that could be a secret door around share some similar characteristics. In these places, gravity isn't normal. The electromagnetic field of Earth becomes disturbed and even chaotic. 
Visions can consume people's minds when they are near these areas the gates are opening or closing, and unexplainable disappearances happen around them often. Sounds a lot like the Devil's Sea in Japan, or the Bermuda Triangle, or any of the vile vortices across the planet actually. And these secret doors are all over, even in the most mundane places. Icicles falling from the sky, fisher birds falling from the sky. So basically super weird paranormal stuff goes down concerning these gates that could be classified in many different ways. The paranormal is tightly linked with these doors and it concerns extraterrestrial intelligences, adepts, as well as ineffable sources beyond human comprehension or people in the know, I guess, of where these things are or what they are from secret societies. And if there was already paranormal stuff going on in the area, then it is increased tremendously when these gates are opening and closing. And even odder, there have actually been legitimate scientists that have looked into this. The secret doors, or at least the anomalies surrounding them, all demonized into oblivion and losing laboratories and subsidies. One of the more interesting and scary cases of someone researching the secret doors is allegedly the assassination of Morris K. Jessup, who believed the secret doors were where UFOs came from, but was found dead in his car before his work could gain any real evidence to support it. Jessup made the mistake of screwing around with the government with his work, which, as already stated, these intelligences don't interact with governments or the powerful. They almost exclusively interact with the initiated, the adepts, and that's it. So going to the government was very much barking up the wrong tree. And there's nothing scarier than the unknown, so the government agencies can get really dangerous concerning anomalies and the unexplained. And uh, poor Jessup just... Yeah, poor guy. But what could have created the gates? Or have they always been there? Jacques speculates that they could have been created by a long-lost civilization, a culture that had a far greater understanding of the nature of reality than us, or that this ancient lost culture could not have been human at all. Not necessarily alien, but not humanity, a dead or extinct race, or a race that left the planet long ago. But he says it's also just as likely that it is indeed alien intelligences behind the portals. There's no way to know and probably never any way to know. Or at least, those who do know would never say anything. The main people who would know anything concrete would be these immortals, these adepts. Jacques says that there are those that state 144,000 immortals walk among us. The Jehovah's Witnesses are one such group oddly enough. But this theme of immortals walking among us is an ancient one. China has legends of an island of immortals that, if journeyed to, will actually come across wise men and sages of renown from the past, obviously. In fact, pretty much every culture you can think of has myths and legends concerning immortals walking among them in secret. There are ideas in the occult as well, such as the secret chiefs, the ascended masters, the awakened. So... The theme can be found pretty much anywhere throughout history. The Wandering Jew is another famous one, who is destined to find the sword inscribed with the ineffable name of God. When he finds it, he must take the sword to the road again. And in this myth, the sword has a dark counterpart that has been picked up many times as well. Uh, one time, um, the Sword of the Black Order is what it's called, but uh, the SS from you know World War II, that 
apparently was also the the black sword people, the opposite. The legend is pretty cool, but um, he's your thematic immortal. He's popped up all throughout history. If you see the wandering Jew as a man, then you are not awakened or not fully awakened. But if you see the wandering Jew as something else, you are chosen and awakened and just might be a candidate for initiation into the adepts and become an immortal yourself. However, the origin of the wandering Jew is not based on enlightenment or anything like that. How it goes in the legend is when Jesus was carrying his cross to be crucified. He sat to rest for a moment at a shoemaker's door. The shoemaker told him to leave his property immediately. Jesus said that he rests where he pleases, but that the shoemaker would not rest until his return. From that day, the man became the wandering Jew and unable to die with divine destiny. Most likely, Jesus had already chosen the man ahead of time for the role, but it's still interesting how the immortality and choosing was granted to such a highly unlikely person. And the wording itself is interesting because death is just simply equated with rest in the legend. Like death and resting are interchangeable. As time gets closer to the modern day, the appearances of the wandering Jew gets fewer and fewer. But he's still around, walking among us. Jacques says something about how his return and something about the rosy cross I didn't really understand, and he doesn't explain it, but I was wondering if he was referring to Christian Rosencruz, the legendary founder of the Rosicrucian Order, to which a lot of modern Western occultism has its roots in. They have a theme of the Rose Cross and whatnot, and Rosencruz is actually said to be sleeping in a tomb, and his body fully... Um, undecomposed, it's just like exactly as if he was alive, just laying there as if he's resting. And Christian Rosencruz could absolutely fill the bill of an adept or an immortal and could just be resting in his tomb. But the most interesting possible immortal that Jacques talks about is the legendary Gilgamesh himself. The man who was two-thirds god and one-third human from one of the oldest written stories of humanity. Not really the oldest one, but one of them. It comes from Sumeria and even has one of the original versions of Noah in the story, who survived the Great Flood. Gilgamesh is the hero in the Mesopotamian epic of Gilgamesh, written in Akkadian originally and possibly the historical king of the Sumerian city-state of Uruk. Think of the Iliad, the epics of Greece, and this is analogous, myth and real history mixing together. And um, in the story, Gilgamesh seeks the secret of eternal life. And goes to their version of Noah, who actually is an immortal, who was granted it. And um, he's told how to become immortal, but he screws it all up. And he ends up having to go back to his kingdom and just live out his life as a mere mortal and eventually dies. However, according to Jacques, Gilgamesh actually succeeded here. And the whole story of his failure, a concoction to conceal himself. Which is totally in line with our theme here about how all of the adepts hide everything and obfuscate themselves and like make up stories to cover their tracks. He says that there's a lot of people who think that Gilgamesh is actually a guardian of sorts for humanity, an immortal protector. Interestingly enough though, he does say that immortals can die. They are just immortal to the passage of time. And if they die, then their bodies are indecipherable from normal humans. So if an immortal is investigated or, you know, autopsy for his death. They can't tell that he's an immortal or an adept. 
there's no difference between a normal human. And that's their whole deal, to remain in the shadows. So anything in the mainstream ideas about them or... <laughs> I mean, like, uh, mainstream as this kind of topic can get, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's all there to conceal the truths to it all. And not reliable in the slightest. So if you ever come across a book or articles or stuff about immortals, it's according to this, it's just all propaganda concocted by the immortals in some way to hide anything true or tangible about them, according to Jacques' ideas at least. They are above any government and any government agency and military or any power on earth. They're just on a whole different level. And since they have the secret of immortality, time itself is one of their greatest weapons, allies, and tools. They think in terms of centuries and millennia, not day-to-day -day life like the rest of us. And then there are the tales of the alchemists. A Chinese alchemist supposedly truly discovered the secret of eternal life back in 2 AD. Taoist monks were the alchemists of the East. And to many, they believe that they succeeded in a lot of their alchemical goals. All secret, of course. No one knows the truth behind it all, and no one ever will, other than them and their small group of a secret society. And with the legends they've concocted around themselves, the idea of taking them seriously is an offense worthy of mocking. But all according to plan. Then there's the European alchemists, and the Philosopher's Stone, and all that stuff, but I'm sure you know all about that, and I don't have to really go into it into detail. However, it's not just immortality, it's also long life that is concocted from alchemy. And these stories are found in ancient Egypt and myriad other cultures across the planet throughout history. These legends of people who have discovered the secret to immortality, or prolonged life, only known to the secret societies of the adepts. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage.
By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicle. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks for listening. The immortality gained by these adepts has many different ways to look at it. A lot of spiritual type people may be upset that the more popular ideas are chemical and very much within the laws of nature. They'd most likely think that it should be something spiritual or something like that. But most of the people that Jock refers to are pretty grounded and see it as a possible unknown science to the broader world. If you think about the Anunnaki stuff, they supposedly altered our DNA slightly to give us shorter lives but those deactivated strands can also be reactivated. Marcel Pouguier says that the state of immortality is actually a state of mind, and once the limitations imposed on us growing up during our indoctrination are, um, I guess, deprogrammed, uh, as a just thought mind, as a whole, as like a collective consciousness, collective unconscious, the sea of unconsciousness that all humans have a drop of, if the gestalt consciousness believes that we can live longer or like uh, even not die of age, then humans will eventually evolve to that point naturally. A lot of Marcel's ideas are kind of woo and cliche, but don't want to go throwing out the baby with the bathwater. He's got a lot of good ideas too. Nozjok seems mostly skeptical of him, but his ideas on being a superior human being is awesome. Not superior as in better or anything mundane but superior as like a true human, awakened, to be more cliche. I did have the quote written down, but apparently it has vanished into thin air or something. But essentially, it is a state of being in which a version of himself that rarely shows itself can experience the ineffable. And in this state of true human, he believes that controlling how one ages over time can indeed be possible. And such a state of enlightenment would mean choosing your own life cycle. If one is not, of course, killed by outside means, that is. Marcel Pouguier's work should definitely be taken with a grain of salt, but there's some there's some pretty legitimate, like, enlightened ideas and thoughts in there. Jacques gives many other examples, but I don't really want to get too into all that detail. He gives many other ideas of possible immortality, both scientific and spectacular. But he also says that overpopulation would become an issue if this were ever released to the public. If you add immortality to all the problems that human civilization has now, it would just make everything worse. But he says the idea of small groups of selected people outside power games and stuff like that, no elites or power-hungry people, etc., that it could be a very good thing. 
and if the adepts that control the secret doors of the earth truly are immortal, it's imperative that the world at large never receives such technology. At least, not until humanity is more developed and mature and has the ability to survive beyond our world. Otherwise, our world would just turn into a nightmare world really quick, where the balance of light and dark and duality and whatnot would be completely thrown out the window, maybe even making our world irrelevant to its intended purpose. Though Jock says that it would be good to have the ability to resurrect people using the same type of technology, um, resurrect people who die prematurely or by accident or disease or tragedy, stuff like that, but only under those circumstances. So it would take a certain level of discipline that the human race doesn't yet have, but that way everyone would be able to live their lives despite the random, unfair nature of nature. Uh, however, the sad truth is that humanity is not mature enough to use this type of knowledge wisely and responsibly, hence why the adepts keep it to themselves. The secret societies of the immortals would never allow it to escape, and this is not out of malice or selfishness as many who hear this at face value may assume. It's actually for our own protection, despite horrible things we must endure because we do not have such knowledge. And how the adepts themselves came up with this? Technology obviously cannot be known, but examples are possibly through the intuition of spiritually enlightened people, or even paranormal intuition, or just straight up the knowledge being given by alien intelligences, or supernatural or interdimensional entities. Who knows, maybe even a mad scientist. Jacques gives many possible examples. But where would these immortals be and how would they hide? Legends of subterranean fortresses of immortals exist to this day in high number, such as the anonymous superiors, masters who promoted movements like Theosophy or the Golden Dawn. These immortals, the ascended masters, the secret chiefs, they also have the ability to immobilize their bodies in death-like trance, just like how I mentioned earlier Christian Rosencruz, and they exert like little to no energy during these states. And Jock says that it's possible when they're in this state, they have their focus completely turned inward. The inner worlds, as some esoteric lore says. I forget the guy's name. Um, he's the, the German esoteric guy. Oh my gosh, I feel so embarrassed. But he was one of the people that mainly popularized the term the inner worlds, even though it's been around for a long time. Rudolf Steiner. Rudolf Steiner was his name. The inner worlds guy. Um, the confusing thing too is that the inner worlds are connected to everything else as well. So they can actually travel and do a bunch of stuff outside the limitations of their physical bodies, apparently. And, uh, it is a paranormal or supernatural state or a spiritual state or just an unknown psychological state, depending on your point of view. This idea kind of goes along with one of Jacques' other books, The Eternal Man which is less about the immortals and more about humans being countless of millions of years older than we currently think. It is, um, I don't want to get too into that. It's off topic and goes into prehistory, advanced civilizations, which we've talked about before. But essentially, human beings could be a recurring and normal state of uh, existence in realities. So if we ever actually go traveling in space, we will absolutely discover other humans in the galaxy. But this eternal state of humans is also on the earth, as long as it's habitable, that is. 
But um, he states in that book, too, that it seems likely that humanity is influenced by alien intelligences. But it's important to remember that Jacques doesn't give absolutes or answers, just ideas based on his knowledge and understanding. So, quote-unquote, alien intelligences could mean a whole bunch of different stuff. Use your imagination. He doesn't necessarily mean literally aliens. And he doesn't necessarily not mean that. That could even be humans from the future. Who knows? Humans from different dimensions. Blah, 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 blah. It could go on forever, me analyzing his ideas. And uh, another one of the main ideas he has is just how different these immortals are than normal humans. Well, when compared to normal humans, I mean, with basically all time placed out before them. The immortals must look at things extremely different than normal people. And one of the first things to fall away is ambition, of all desire to interfere, to basically just seek to disappear and not have their spectacular nature ever revealed or on display, other than very specific circumstances. Don't get me wrong, they're not going to step aside and allow whatever <laughs> to happen whenever. Like, they've gotten involved in pretty much all of the big crises humanity has faced over the millennia. But overall, on the day-to-day, they have no interest. They just leave the rest of humans to ignorance, etc. They will always help lift up as best they can, based on what humans can comprehend during the era going on. Like, for example, what I said earlier. Sometimes it's better to just tell people that spirits are going to get them if they don't wash their hands before they eat. Instead of trying to literally explain germs to someone in ancient Carthage or whatever. Like, uh, you work with what you got. It's like how in the enlightened teachings they say that you meet people where they are. Not where you are coming from. (laughs) Otherwise, whatever you say won't make any sense. And they probably just think you're crazy. But for the most part, the desire to interfere in the daily hustle and bustle would disappear. They wouldn't care about things like propaganda or pin the tail on the bad guy type stuff. They wouldn't get stuck in the polarized reality tunnel of uh, conflicts in society that are always shifting back and forth. One person's hero is another person's villain, etc. They'd be more about, metaphorically, they'd be more about cultivating their own garden, sort of speak. So, you wouldn't ever find them regurgitating dogma to anyone or anything like that. People like Caesar and Napoleon went through a lot of trouble that you would speak about them, and we speak about them. And there are those who go through a lot of trouble that you would not speak about them, and we don't speak about them. These are the adepts. They intend to do their best not to impose themselves on us, which actually is not only because of their power that comes with a state of immortality, but the centers of energy these secret societies create. This is not mystical psychic energy, but a very natural occurrence in nature, Jacques says. But at the same time, to go against Jacques, I guess it could be totally interpreted as quantum entanglement, or even psychic energy if you really wanted to interpret it that way. But it's not just heightening the self to become true human that he talks about, I mean, he, it's also called uniting with the higher self, the daemon. There are all kinds of names. Uh, what's the, the magnum opus in occult lore? There's lots of names for it in metaphysics and esoteric lore, but it's not all that good stuff on top of immortality that's fantastical. Jacques says that their discoveries in science would blow normal people away. These 
hidden technologies only known to their secret societies. And in this way of thinking, even the idea of interplanetary travel could be well known to the adepts. Not even through their secret portals to other dimensions, but literally through space in our current layer of reality. Like they could be space travelers and we never know. Jacques says it's probable that this technology would make governments and militaries weep with envy, and it always will be beyond their grasp, objectively in all ways. His ideas about this kind of remind me of the whole secret space program theory, but without all the corrupt government stuff in it, I've, um, I think I've talked about this, yeah, I've talked about the secret space program a couple times here. You know what I'm talking about. But Jacques says that folds in the world work just like folds in the Earth itself, and a lot of things beyond our current comprehension exist inside our planet, through secret doors. But he doesn't go into the hollow Earth stuff. It's more dimensional layers than literal hollowness inside the planet that houses mysterious and ineffable beings. But this uh, secret space stuff that they do could totally be hidden inside the Earth, he says. And despite all their power, the authentic secret societies have total detachment and no interest in the affairs of the world. This is why they've lasted so long. The more famous pretender secret societies always collapse, splinter, and their secrets become revealed specifically because they have egoic obsessions and interest in power in the world. This is why all the secret societies have had issues, the quote-unquote secret societies. The members recruited into these Real secret societies are scrutinized beyond obsession and detail, so not one such like egoic, power-hungry type person would ever be inducted into their ranks. For example, we've all heard of the mysterious Freemasons and Skull and Bones and Bilderberg Group and, you know, insert secret society name, Illuminati. But if you know a secret society's name and you know of some of its members, or who's been a member in the past, or you know some of its activities or rituals or whatever, then this isn't one of these authentic secret societies. It's just a secret society in name only, which is good marketing, when in truth, it is just a society that has secrets. The members of true secret societies are satisfied with glory all their own. They discover for the sake of discovery and don't have any interest in acknowledgement or renown. This is one of the attributes that makes some true human. They don't have any need outside themselves. And such people are masters of keeping secrets. When there's nothing to prove or gain, interacting with others takes on a whole different meaning. And the mundane nature of life just fades away. Jacques says that these secret societies are so ancient, the cultures they originated from are extinct. They have survived cataclysms, deluges, and myriad dark ages that have befallen humanity over the millennia. And with how rare these people are that are candidates to be initiated into these societies, there's like maybe a hundred every generation, and even that is scrutinized even more. Because certain genes are required as well. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that induction is hereditary, not in the slightest. They are not they're also like um What's the right word? What's the word where you help out only people you know and don't help out people you don't in like a business or organization? Well, I am really not doing that great today. But there, you can't get in through friendships or who you know or favoritism. 
somebody who passes all of the this or gives all the signs that they can be inducted into one of these secret societies is like as rare as lightning striking from a clear sky. These secret societies are older than India, Egypt, or Sumeria, Babylon, uh, the Indus Valley people, the old ancient China civilization, all that stuff. All of the old, like early civilizations that we know of, they go further back than even all of them. And thinking that secret societies could be so insanely ancient does seem far-fetched, but then again, they have access to secret doors of the earth. When a cataclysm or deluge is happening, they can just uh, open up one of these secret doorways and then just come back when everything's stable again and they can set up shop again. This tradition is only comprehended through initiation into the mysteries, and they have a hidden library somewhere in the world just uh, through one of these doors, these secret doors of the earth. It contains all the true history of our world and its many cycles and civilizations that have come and gone over the eons, forgotten other than to them, which I would give my right foot to be able to just have one day in that library. But Jacques also theorizes that genetic memory could be a thing that's uh, activated during these initiations, and that's why they only choose people with certain genes. The memories of our ancestors become our memories, not putting something in us, more so revealing what's already there and has always been there and uh, that we do know just subconsciously. It makes it conscious. And these ideas of genetic memory could be a reason they only choose people with certain genes to be initiated into their ranks. They could possess the required genetic memory, quote-unquote, of an ancestor. Maybe even the genetic memory of one of the original adepts first introduced to the hidden doors of the earth leading to other planes of existence, like a, a weird form of reincarnation, but not really. He doesn't even talk about this in the book. I'm just kind of speculating. So, initiation can only take place to those who have the proper genetic code and things that aren't there can't be brought up to the surface, according to Jacques. However, all humans do have the capacity to awaken genetic memories. This is not something just to the few people. It just so happens that the code for initiation into the Adept's secret orders are rare, insanely rare. But Jacques makes sure to be very clear that this code doesn't have anything to do with race. There is no supreme race or any stupid crap like that. The code is in all strains of humanity. Just... A black swan, the rarest of the rare. Jacques says that the way these people that can be initiated are found could be paranormal. Like somebody's, uh, you know, maybe they have like a psychic aura about them that makes them stand out in a crowd. Or just some sort of clairvoyance or something. They are most likely studied and watched all their life before they are ever approached for initiation. And they must be highly intelligent and have a solid character and have a just heart. So there are all kinds of prerequisites that need to be there in order to even be considered for initiation. In any case, all the secrets of the world and who knows what else, secrets of the universe maybe even, are open to these people once they're initiated. And they have access to secret doors of the earth and the true nature of our purpose here, as well as the true history of our world.
That's all for today's episode, listener. Hope you enjoyed The Secret Doors of the Earth. I'll leave a link to it in the details. I'll most likely have to go back to more of Jacques' work in the future because this guy has made a lot of good stuff that I find very fascinating. And uh, I'm kind of bummed out that I never heard of him before. Like, I should have been reading this guy years ago. Anyway, Cryptic Chronicles is available on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and basically all podcast hubs. You look for us somewhere there. If you can, listener, please make sure to like, comment, or review wherever you hear this content. It really helps out the algorithm and helps spread the show, which helps me tremendously. I put an insane amount of work into this, and just that little bit greatly assists me and the growth of the show. If you can, also share the podcast with people that think like you and are open-minded and interested in the mysteries of the universe. Just uh, share on social media or anyone that you think might be interested that you know. I'd really appreciate that as well. Just in doing that little bit, you're doing more than your fair share and support. And if you really like Cryptic Chronicles and you happen to be awesome, make sure to join the Chronicles Vault. Now, I do have, finally, I do have a subscribe star now, so those people who hate Patreon, there you go. Check out my subscribe star. It'll be linked. And by being a supporter, you will have access to early episodes, a bunch of other good stuff, you know. Totally worth it, I promise. And as always, I'd like to thank my current patrons, MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, Brad Herbert, Lawrence Lee, Patricia Coles, Kayla, Max, Michael Worrell, Jimmy Woods, Grodius, Sophia Owens, Scott Wellman, who wear the Q, Ashley Thompson, Matt Poland, Johnny Wick, The Yale Adams, Danny Van Heck, Carnage, Jesse Leach, Austin Monday, Michael Graham, Ed Hawks, Trusty Old Senpai, Lex Lazarus, Brian Nolan, Jared Matthew Lawson, Jismic, Spacecoin, Gary Hetzel, Tom McClerney, and Colton Spenner. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. And as one of the greatest enlightened masters who ever lived once said, if you want to become full, let yourself be empty.